you guys hear me? Thank you. Can you hear me? Yep. Hey, Ashby. Yeah, I guess I could have done it. I guess I should have done a sound check with you. Okay, your sound checked, Clyde. Perfect. Official one sound checked. We're just going to hang out for a few minutes. Wait for people to just pour in. I'm going to go poke some people. Hello, folks. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Can you hear us? show in a few minutes so just hanging out what are you guys up to today i'm mostly just fucking around mostly uh just mostly vegetables and smoking weed eating vegetables and snuggling yeah snuggling smoking weed all that snuggling I think eating vegetables and snuggling is probably what you were really doing. Snuggling with your teddy bear. Um, I, I mean, I can name my mom teddy bear, I suppose. I guess it serves a similar purpose, right? Yes, yes, it's my surrogate relationship. <laughs> They got dirty comments, but I'm gonna keep them to myself. <laughs> well, Why? It's so much fun. It's so much fun, more fun when you say what you really feel, Fly. That's true. I don't know. It's, it's surprising anybody trusts me with anything, really, with my fucking mentality and my terrible voice and coding and everything. What do you mean, so your terrible voice? What's wrong with your voice? Do you have a cold? Yeah, my throat's a bit raspy, fucking allergies. Oh, I love your voice. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you have a great voice. You've got a great, you have a great face for radio. <laughs> yeah, I'm an ugly bastard. You are so great for radio. Okay, we're just gonna sit here for another second. type of fucking elevator music you got going on there. <laughs> it's totally elevator music. You're like so it. right. Let's try this. Is that elevator music? I don't know what it is. I'm just pushing buttons. Oh, that's some like type of funk house or some shit. This one's called Twisted Circus. Yeah, it sounds very twisted circusy. 
I kind of want to read a five minute to Freddy's book now. Um, we're going to get started here in a minute. Go make sure you invite your little friends if you have any. <laughs> uh, uh, they're here already. Yeah, <laughs> basically me and Ashby, but... Aww, you guys! Okay, cool. Whoa, what? Oh, there we go. Starting now. I just like in a free blog that fucking shit. I was gonna say re-steam, but that's not fucking proper. I know, I have the same habit as well. Okay, let's just do a little intro, and um, people will come a little bit later, but this is the Crypto Queen show. I am Little Scribe, and I've got with me today, Cly, and we're going to talk a little bit about the project that he's been working on, and then we're going to dive into some um, Elon Musk, because that's my favorite. So basically, all things Elon Musk. We're talking about, I'm not going to, you guys, I'm not going to do the typical musky talk. We're going to do something a little different. First of all, we're going to talk about, about why he may actually make a viable candidate for Satoshi Nakamoto. And then we're going to talk about his religious zealousism that nobody knows about. Okay. So that's going to be what we talk about today. And then like maybe some EV car projects, but I did have some questions about the decentralized blockchain banking built on Hive. So that's why Cly has been invited to discuss, and I'm super excited to have you here. Yeah, we gotta save, we gotta save money for Starlink. Um, and then what else are we gonna do? Oh, and I'll probably remind you guys all about Block Card because we're trying to get listed on their server on their exchange. Okay. Uh, and then just as a reminder. This is going to be recorded. It's actually recorded right now. So you can use it for future reference if you need to, if you're on the show or like Clyde, if you wanted to have it to refer to um, in a portfolio or something like you can just put it on. I believe the fifth. You can count. You can count. <laughs> um, and I'll have it on podcast. I use, It's called Crypto Queen. If you want to look it up on a podcast. I keep all my shows. Hey, Blue. Hello to you. I have a couple people coming in. So we'll give them just a minute. And we're just going to hang out and chat for a bit. Whilst we wait. Um, one of the things, you guys, that I did not know. This is news from, like, let's see. Well, it's probably not super new news, but Blue, I, <laughs> hey, the hive, hey, the hive, but oh, Blue, Blue can correct me if I'm wrong on this one, but I wanted to talk about something that just, like, an update on the, the um, EV batteries for the Tesla, where is they have a two-way current, so now you can actually pull from the... <laughs> The charging stations and then come and plug it into your solar panel, like your solar cell in your house and then have that actually feed your house. Yes, true. So tell me if it's true because I totally heard the rumor. Blue says it's not true. Okay, guys, I think we can get started. I wanted to start off actually with Clive's thing, okay? Just we're just going to do a basic run through because I had some questions for you, Clive. 
first of all, I'm going to do, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm just going to do a little screen share so we can see this. Hang on a second. I'm going to pull up your link because I think it's worth sharing. Copy link. Whoa. There we go. What did I, oops, that's not what I meant to do. Okay, that's the link for Cly's decentralized blockchain banking built on Hive, fully automated loans coming soon. Um, so I want to talk about that. So that's the link if you want to go check it out with me. And you're all, you're, you guys are also welcome to go check it out on Vim if you want to watch like the camera in my face. That's fine too. Okay, so I had I had some questions, and you guys can chime in as well with the question with the questions. But starting off, though, Clyde, first of all, it's like this is so cool. Like this is one of those things where I seriously am like, wait a minute, why has no one ever thought of this? Like some of the best inventions, some of the best ideas are things that everyone goes, wait, why didn't I think of that? Like why didn't I try and implement that? So, I mean, because what you're doing is you're essentially using, as I understand it, using, yeah, Neoxian did do something similar um, with Steam. But what you're doing is you're essentially taking Hive, or rather, um, power, Hive power as collateral and then liquidating or rather low lending liquid hive assets. So do you want to just give us a kind of quick breakdown of that? Cause I know probably most everyone here has heard about it, but I just wanted to see like how you plan on doing that because I'm thinking as a collateral, it works because if you have the hive power as collateral, then you don't really have to take on the risk when they are basically giving you their uh, stream key or not stream keys, but their account keys so that you essentially have possession of their account and then how and then if they don't pay it back well then i guess you keep all the high power like how does that work tell me hey fox on how's it going yeah, yeah so, so basically, basically the whole idea of account for collateral works on i, I wanted riskless lending for both parties both the borrower and the lender so essentially what's going to happen is the uh person who wants to borrow will sign their recovery account over to either uh one of some guys or block trades or a hive loans account and, and from there what we're going to do is take their keys and their owner keys and whatnot and then we're actually going to change them and give them back um, a new set of active keys and private keys so that allows them to still use their account but we're also going to start a power down for whatever amount that they've loaned plus the interest to get back to the borrowers so essentially it's riskless as long as the recovery accounts are good and i've already teamed up with some guy he's uh basically said he'll partner with me to uh do the account recovery stuff and i've still yet to uh talk to block trades but i imagine he's probably for it as well but the whole point of this was basically like there are, there's individuals that have the hive and it's locked up in hive power and they might need cash because something came up in their life car accident or a wedding or just they need basically liquid hive now yeah. and, and if basically i can have their account until it's paid off not a big deal we just power it down pay back all the lenders 
and then after that, we just give them their order keys and give them instructions to change everything. And it'll be all on site as well. Like we'll provide free account recovery and all, all sorts of jazz like that. And it'll also be completely automated. So there's not going to be like anybody sitting there and picking and choosing loans. The, uh, the lenders will be able to basically pool their money together with um, whatever type of interest rate and duration they choose. And then borrowers will be able to go and kind of make their, uh, what they would like for a loan. And then you just have the system connect those automatically. So essentially when you say riskless, I mean, to me, front to front to back, it just looks like it's fairly riskless on both sides. As long as it checks out, as long as the account checks out and it's not like you three are unknown entities. I mean, everybody knows some guy, everybody knows block trades, almost everybody knows Cly, but they will soon. Um, and so it's not like we're dealing with people who haven't done, who haven't followed through with what they've promised and, and everything. So on, on your guys's end, I think it'll be easier to do business with you, but on the client's end, on the, the debtor's end, wait, the debtor, the creditor, the debtor's end, they're going to have to basically have HP that checks out. They're going to have to give you account access to the, to the hive power. You're going to be able to start down powering it down. My question is, what are you going to do if they fail to pay it back? Then do you just not ever give them their keys back? Oh, no. See, that's the thing. Even if they do decide to try to default or they somehow send one of their power downs to some other place before we can get it, basically, before you can get a loan, you're going to have 150 to 200% of whatever you're borrowing in the account. And on the off chance that they do try to default or, or fuck around, basically it'll just be a 10 or 15% fee. We'll take that from the like remaining power downs. If they do decide to like mess around and try to transfer out, not to us, basically what we'll do is lock down the account because we have the owner keys. Yeah. So like, uh, that's basically the whole thing of it. I, I don't want to own anybody's accounts. I don't want to take accounts from people. That's not what I'm out to do. It's basically just as collateral. And even if they do fuck up a default, they still get their account back. I just take a little bit more hive to pay back the investors and for uh, basically a fee of defaulting. Okay, that was my question because a lot of people were a little concerned about uh, that propri that property. Is that is now do you get to say it's your account? But you're saying, no, it's not my account, but I will take a percentage as there was something of a contract in place. And But it's still their account. They own it. And then they have to have 150% worth of hive power of stake, not liquid, right? Because otherwise... Yeah, that's exactly it. Sense. They need to be able to cover the loan 150, 200%. And that creates a buffer too. So if they do default, we can take a little bit out of the like probably 10 or 15% if they default. But I mean, I don't imagine people will. It's going to be set up so it automatically powers down and sends to the hive loans account. And from there, it'll go back to the people that were lending. So it, it'll be basically entirely automated. And the off chance that somebody does manage to send off their uh, their power down before we can get it into our accounts, then, yeah. then we'll penalize them for it. Okay, because how, how are you going to penalize them if you don't, if there's nothing? I mean, I guess because a power down takes time. So they can send it off, but then what? How are you going to penalize them? Well, see, we're going to have account ownership. So I will actually own the owner keys. I will technically own the account for the duration of the loan. And if they do decide to start messing around, basically what I can do is change the posting keys for the next 
power down so they won't be able to move their stuff at that point in time. Okay. And by posting keys, you mean active keys? Yeah, active keys, posting keys. Okay. Basically, if, if, if they bugger up, we can just shut them right out of their account until everything's squared away and back to good again. I mean, it sounds so simple. It's like, oh, well, I don't, well, so the hive says not own, but have possession of. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's a pretty good point. I, I'll basically have the keys and yeah, possession not, of. not yeah. ownership per se, but I'll definitely have control of the account. I mean, it sounds to me, honestly, really similar to what a bank might do when they basically own the title of the house, you're paying it down and then you get the title. Like my name's on the title of my house, but the bank is in possession of that title. Yeah. Sort of thing. So how do, okay, Ashby has a great question. How do you, I actually two questions. The hive says wording can hang you. Ashby says, how do you recover the account? If you might, if you lose the keys in transition, um, so I want to talk about how do you recover if the keys are somehow absconded with or lost in transition? And number two, what kind of written contract is in place? So we'll start with Ashby. Do you have any contingency for if keys are lost or if, do you really just have a way of making sure that doesn't happen? They're going to be encrypted in our database. And basically, we're not even going to allow keys on the site unless they're encrypted. So when they do send us the keys, it's not going to be in plain text. They're, they're actually going to be encoding it with their uh, their memo key. So we'll be able to, well, they'll encode with our memo key technically, and then we'll be able to uh, decrypt everything from there. And when you decrypt it, does that mean that you technically have the actual key? Like you see the actual key and you own the key or you have possession of the key, master key? Yeah, okay. basically, if, if somebody sends over the keys with, encrypted with our memo, um, you need the private key of the Hive Loans account in order to read that un unencrypted. Okay. So that's just another layer of security. And then we're going to have SSL and all other sorts of stuff. I was debating on using a PGP or a GPG encryption as well, but um, we'll see. If we do end up going that route, it'll be built right into the site. So it won't be like anybody has to learn anything. It's just put it in and it'll do its thing so essentially you will you will power down the stake of their hive power until the point at which it reaches whatever amount they you liquidated for them or is there also going to be an interest rate because what's the gain here unless you earn something see the investor not the investors the borrowers when they uh, put their hive up into the community pool to lend it out, they will be specifying an interest rate and a duration that they would like. And basically we're just matching loans and uh, the borrowers, the same metrics basically, as long as you're within, okay, so 15% interest rate, and then Ashby's willing to loan out his hive at 15% return, then we just match them up. The uh, payments go back into the hive loans account and then Ashby gets paid on his account on hive loans through, through that way. Perfect. So you get to kind of negotiate a percentage rate, which sounds like it's probably the typical 10 to 15% over the life of the loan. What are the life, what are your, what are your loan lives going to look like? Well, the maximum due to power down being 13 weeks would be 13 weeks. However, I'm kind of thinking of like putting a cap on it. So it'd be like a month, two months type thing. Cause I don't want to be like holding on to accounts long-term type deal. Oh, okay. So it's not like 
It's not like someone can take out like a $20,000 loan and pay it back over a year. No, I, well, I mean, I, I could make a system for that, but I prefer not to have to hold on to account keys for that long. Okay. I'd much rather kind of have like the quick and easy payday loan a month, yes. a week type thing. That's what it sounds like is a quick and easy payday loan. And in those instances, you could go up to 25%, but I don't know if we want to be that filthy, do we? You guys aren't going to do that. I was going to allow 10% uh, kind of as the minimum and then 30% kind of as the maximum. Okay. Because anything, anything greater than that is kind of highway robbery in my opinion. Yeah. But... So what, what would determine the higher, the higher percentage? Is it just a higher risk loan? Um, no, it's actually the lenders that determine what percentage they want. I, I have nothing to do with that. I just take a small percentage of what the uh, interest is made on the uh, lender's profit. Okay, so that's my next question is where is the actual funding coming from? You've. It sounds like you've probably got some guy in block trades. Are they going to be putting funding into this? It's going to actually be community bankrolled. So you can log into a Hive Loans, deposit into your lending account, and set your parameters, and it'll basically just automatically lend your money out and then get returns on a weekly or daily basis, depending on who's loaned out to when or who's loaned off. So you, pro basically. you have just a bunch of community investors who are like, sure, I'll put my money in. Yeah, I mean... The, and then depending uh, on how much they put well, in, will determine what ROI they get. So, like, if I, little scribe, wanted to put in 10000 hive, then I would get a lower percentage than someone else who put in $100,000. Um, no. Um, basically, it's depending on what interest rate you put. Like, we're going to have the community pool. As for um, the rankings... Oh. It's, I'm going to have to build a so system, basically, where it's, like, my, more preferred... My interest. I would get to decide my interest rate. I would be the lender. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's crazy pants. Like I thought this was going to be like a community pool. And then you guys, but it's, it, 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 oh, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. You go ahead. It, it is a community pool in a sense, but it's a community pool. That's like, I'm basically giving um, the lenders the opportunity to be the bank, but automated and not having to worry about like chasing people down for money. This is great. It's like, I, I, you know, it's funny because, I mean, this is real people, real money, real things. But for me, it feels a little bit fun. Like, it feels kind of funnish. feels a little bit Monopoly-esque to me. Because I get to play with my Hive account and put money out to lend to someone and get a return on my investment on the interest rate that I so, so choose. So, I mean, why don't I just go make some money and give it to you guys and then make some return on investment. Like I don't see the risk here. The only risk I could potentially theoretically see, which it sounds like you've buffered with that 150 plus uh, percentage over overage. The only risk I would see is if some kind of, you know, stake decrease, like the you know crash. But even then, do I not have compensation? Like, where's my end? Do, the, do I, is, am I taking on that risk? Or are you guys going to take on that risk and make sure I get my return on investment? It's, it's high for high. We're not going anything dollar value. I, I don't give a shit about the price of high personally. It's if I lend you a hundred high, I want 110 back. And it doesn't matter if it goes up and down at that point in time. Okay. 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 Whatever it's worth, whenever it's worth what it is. Yep. Yeah. Tr trading the uh, wow, crypto token that's itself. So crazy.
I don't even see any risks here. Does anybody see any risks? Can anyone chime in? Blue, the hive, because it's it's essentially just a yeah, it's collateralized. It in fact the borrower takes on a greater risk than I would as the lender. Yep. Uh, absolutely. They're the ones who have to hand over their account and that's kind of them uh, putting faith into the service. And I mean, if they're not willing to do that, we can't do business with them, but. I mean, this is like ridiculous. There's nothing stopping me from giving you $10,000 right now and being like, oh, sure. I want 30% on that ASAP or 15% or 20. It's yep, gonna, whatever you choose. Is it going to be like a little marketplace? Like, like, um, I just list my amount that I want to lend and then someone can select it and that those are the terms of the contract? There's going to be basically an, autom an automatic method and then there is going to be also the ability to post like looking for loan, looking to lend. Wow, this is so cool. I'm so, again, this is one of those really cool moments where I'm like, how, how simple, obviously, for me as a as a spectator and a potential participant, it sounds so simple, but I realize there's a lot of work that goes into it. I mean, the behind the scenes, you've got a program, the automation, you you had to have come up with all of the the catches and and you know, make sure that we didn't have any booby traps and everything to make sure that this was risk-free, but essentially um I guess, how is this, if you were to compare this to a regular collateralized loan, what would the difference be? Like, how would you, to someone say, this is, um, this is a better option than if you were to lend fiat, what would, what would your argument be? Say, say I'm walking down the street and I want to either borrow or lend actual fiat cash and you give me the option of doing Hive, what would your argument be that why this would be a better option? Well, if you were lending fiat, for example, um, you would almost have to have like their paycheck direct deposited into your account. That would kind of be the equivalent. And in this case, we're doing like a 30 day loan max, right? You said the life alone is just a quick payday loan type of thing. Yeah, I, I prefer to keep them shorter duration. Like, I mean, we could do two months. We could do longer. I'd rather stay away from that type of stuff. But well, if, if there's like, a demand for it, it'll end up being made. That's, I guess, the thing. I, I can't even imagine how I wouldn't want to make, you know, $3,000 on my $10,000 deposit or whatever, or, you know, let loan. My question is, A, what amounts do you think people are going to be asking for? And number two, couldn't you maybe establish yourself as a quick payday loan or something to the effect of a quick quick loan and then maybe build out from there as like a proper lending bank where you have like actual you know three-year loan terms and stuff like that is that something you would ever be interested in it's a possibility it all just comes down to the collateral basically and with the 13 week power down on hive that's kind of like the higher limit and even then at a 13 week power down that's 100 percent of the account basically taken out and that doesn't leave you any wiggle room for interest or anything like that. So yeah. that's kind of like the higher limiting factor there. Yeah. And also I feel like why would you want to go longer than 30 days when you can do the same thing in 30 days? <laughs> why would you want to stretch it out? So I do think that's interesting. So what's, and then Ashby says 1000 at a time. So what's the largest loan that you'll, that you'll put up with? 
um, basically whatever the uh, community um, lender bankroll will support. Like, I mean, if somebody with a huge account comes in and let's just say in the community, you've got 25,000 hives sitting there and they want 20K of it and they have the collateral to back it, absolutely will honor that. Wow. So what I see potentially, just being who I am, I see actually a potential for the interest rates to be driven down by competition because I, I have a hard time. I have a hard time people believing that people aren't going to see this and go, oh, I totally want to lend money. I feel like there's going to be a shortage of, of credit uh, debtors. <laughs> like everyone's going to want to lend. Is that me? Is that just me? Like no, the the free market concept and having the uh, poor, or, yeah, having the lenders being able to set their interest rate is going to cause competition, and it will hopefully drive rates down. It will. Uh, it will because I'm going to go to that marketplace and say, ooh, I want to get, you know, 30% on my loan. And then I'm going to show up at the marketplace and I'm going to see 200 other people saying, yeah, well, I I beat you to it at a 15% market rate. And then someone comes in and they're like, oh, well, there's not as many of us as there are as you. So I get to pick and choose. I think that's how it's going to go. What do you think? Yeah, I, I would say so. And I mean, let's just say there's five lenders that have 10%. And someone comes in and basically takes all that capital out on loan. And then the next tier will be the 12% guys or the 15% guys. And I, and I think you're going to see kind of um, a competition market evolve there too. It does sound like Checkholer says you can see it play out on dealies and how people would change bids to make sure they secure the delegation. Exactly. That's exactly the kind of idea I had is like a leasing thing. I mean, not just, just there's so many different leasing options right now. There's the monster card options. There's the HP leasing options, there's the delegations, and there's so many different ranges and things that people are doing to make themselves competitive so that someone wants to take their product over someone else's. But, but rest assured, I'm highly fascinated in this process and you will be hearing from me and I think it sounds a lot of fun and I just wanna sink my teeth into that. I wanna be a lender, super, 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 super bad. But I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see who's going to get out there and throw out their cash first and what rate they're going to serve it at because y'all going to have to find out. I guess we'll see who needs money when. And I, I, the other thing is right now, I think this is a perfect time. Of course, you're not rolling out until, what was it, April 2021? The, the, I kind of put a long estimate on it just so I wasn't rushed because I'm currently working on my uh, roller site as well. And I'm trying to get that to a version one so I can fully launch that finally but i do have a partner with the hive loans so that's good too it's not just me developing it which is kind of a godsend yeah and then um, i had another question oh yeah so as a lender uh okay two things two things come to mind one as a lender and one as a borrower as a lender actually let's talk about borrow as a borrower the first thing that i think of is i'm sure you've heard and if you haven't is the block card, which I talk about all the freaking freaking time, like all the live long day. Let me pull the link if I can. But I'm always talking about the block card and essentially here, let me grab the link. Just give me a second. Please hold while your party is reached. Here it is. Okay, so block card. Have you heard about that yet? Have I talked about that with you? No, I, I've not heard of that service. Block card. You may be interested in this, Clyde, because 
here's how it works is they are a it's a turnio blockchain they have it's their own blockchain their own coin currency and what they've done is they've created a space where you send in your cryptocurrency to them and they instantly convert it into cash like fiat cash that is inter that is used on a credit card a visa credit card that is good in any store that accepts a visa right now it's just in the us but they're working toward europe as well us and canada so as far as i understand well no i know this is how it is because we just had it on the show a couple of weeks ago so when your client goes and says hey i need hive so that i can convert it to cash so i can go pay my rent this month um what what if you had a product that said yeah guess what we also have a credit card that you can instantly convert your cash into or your crypto your hive into actual cash and you can go pay your rent with the visa credit card and so you just got someone to lend you twelve hundred dollars so you could go pay your rent and the way you do it is you convert that hive and put it onto this card and instantly take that card call up your mortgage or your landlord and you say hey here's my rent money i mean overnight within minutes how does that not sound amazing to you i mean that's like that's like what we're trying to achieve here right like wouldn't that be awesome yes no i'm actually quite anti-bank i don't even have a bank account i don't believe in them i think they're a bunch of shysters so this is funny this one's not a bank account it is a they have a banking option but this is not a bank account it is basically a debit card it's like a cash card you put money on it you take the money off so it's just the card you sign up for it you put your money on you go spend it there's no bank involved it is definitely one of those things where you do have to verify who you are because it's visa backed and visa would never back something where they can't do person verification but i don't know okay so now tell me what you think about that see i've actually found a crypto card that uh didn't make me do a kyc <laughs> okay Is that um yeah, no, I don't have ID. I don't have bank account. I don't believe in any of that crap. I'm quite anti-government and anti-establishment. And, and anti-KYC. The problem with, yeah, I hate KYC. Like my my, who I am identity-wise is none of anybody's fucking business, especially online for the most part. Especially when you get into the crypto atmosphere. So what? Oh, go ahead. So you've identified a card that works okay what is it looks like blue robo posted cowdog made a post they're declining two of my bank cards have stopped working thanks to something wire card um scandal surrounding company we're under two cards by cowdog okay we'll have to look into that but what are the, do you want to tell us the company that you're thinking of because that sounds like a really good idea I'm just trying to remember the name actually right now. Crap. <laughs> That's okay. I put you on the spot and I'm sure you weren't prepared to answer that. But if you do think of it, let us know because it sounds like a really great option. On my end though, I'm okay with KYC at this point in my life. And if you are too, then, and, and this is something that interests you as a lender or as a uh, debtor, this could be a really cool option because what I'm trying to do is see if we can get listed on the Turnio blockchain exchange because once we get a thousand users to sign up for that, then they will list us on their exchange and they will issue us a Hive credit card. So I just want to put that out there because that is something that I see goes really well with this. Even though it, even if you personally don't agree with it, I still want to put it out there because there may be people who are interested in that. 
Oh yeah, for sure. And I mean, if you want to take on that type of uh, role and get that into the community, that's that's a fucking. It's a great idea. Just because it doesn't work with my like kind of idea doesn't mean it's a bad idea. It's actually a great idea. And I completely respect the the anti KYC thing as well. There's plenty of people who have lots of reasons why they don't want to participate in that, and it's it's extremely. I I, could, I completely respect that. Um, and then so back to my last question at least that I can think of right now was when it comes to the lending um and then I'm sitting here as a lender and I'm giving you whatever my money or whatever my my hive so that you can give it in liquid to someone else is I am looking at this opportunity as um with the with the hive power how it's basically staked and I love how you said it's hive for hive. So we're not valuing it against the dollar. We're not valuing it as what we think it's worth today. It's just you go in, you set up a number, and you say this is how much I want. My question is, how do the contracts work? Is it really just like you have a basic instruction manual at the top of the page that says how it works and then click the one that you want? Or does, does there need to be an individual contract written with each transaction that is made? Um, no, there will basically be like an umbrella terms of service and how the site operates. And signing up, you basically read it, you click the little button, good to go from there. And it's not going to be anything super complicated. It's basically just, um, yeah, if you default, then you're going to get taxed on it and you will get your return on your investment over the course of however many weeks that you loan out. Right. I am so excited. I think this is really great. I love that you're getting together with some people to make it happen. And please give us updates because I'm, and I'm sure you will, but let me know what they are. Cause I'm not always following everyone's posts all the time. So let us know anytime you have any revolutionary updates, either on this project or on other projects that you're doing. And that goes for everyone in the audience. If you have any projects that you're working on, that better the hive community or just a crypto or blockchain community at large then please let me know because i love to chat about it um somebody needs to throw ganja farmer an invite that's weird i thought he was already a member of hive so hang on let me get him his little invite so he can come on the show that's really weird why he's asking for that maybe he just doesn't understand where we are Anyway, okay, thank you. Um, is there any other things you want to add to this before I switch gears here? Did I miss anything? Does anyone have any questions, comments, good jokes on the subject of hive lending with Cly? And if so, let us know, and then we'll we'll take a little um switch. Yeah, away. I can jump in there. What's that? Have you thought about annual or bigger loans? Kind of. Have you thought about the possibilities of doing a mortgage loan? If if, oh if the God. community banker accepts it, yeah, we could we could do that. It's basically going to be up to what lenders have what money up at what percentage, and if you've got the uh, high power to cover it, then yeah, what you do with the hive is completely up to you. If you want a mortgage with it, go for it. Well, I'm thinking. Um, people may not be on Hive and may still be able to get a loan from the Hive community is what I was thinking. Have you thought about things like that? Wow. 
it comes down to collateral though that that's the thing yeah, with outside loans after sorry after collateral is there yeah once you make the loan on the mortgage yeah basically that mortgage is owned by the hive chain with being owned by the hive chain that's the collateral they don't pay the bills they lose the house oh man that's <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, yeah, in theory, it's doable. I, I don't know if I would want to necessarily. Oh, go ahead. What's that, Chekor? Because the link, how I see it, practically speaking, is if they had enough hive power that was that you could liquidate into the amount that would cover a bank loan or a, a mortgage loan. I feel like how they got to that level means they probably had that amount in the first place and they probably invested it in the first place. And so they probably just want to pull it out. But if that's the case and they, for some reason have that amount of money in their own hive power and they, for some reason can't pull it out and they need it within 13 weeks. I mean, most bank loans are going to be a 13 week process at the very least anyways. I'm not seeing the practicality there as far as someone coming on who wants a bank loan and wants to do it via collateral, they would have had to build up that collateral with their hive power, which means they probably would have had to invest it themselves, which means they might as well pay for it themselves in cash. I don't know. Am I missing something? Um, if you're talking about what I was saying, yeah, you're missing quite a lot. It's not something, I'm not just talking of this because clients here, myself and Jack Miller have talked about this over the last two years. Um, We've gone into all sorts of things about where we see no reason why it could not be done if we got the proper backing from the hive community as a whole, so to speak. Um, it would take some investment from hives to begin it, but yeah, it could be done easy enough. So you're saying like, I don't have the cash, I don't have the hive power, I want to come and get a mortgage loan from the hive role. And I, I, what do I do? Well, you would find the property you want to um, take the mortgage out on. Um, the Hive community would have to have that um, assessed as in property value and stuff like that. All those normal things you would do when you're purchasing a house, they would all have to go through. But essentially, uh, if the finances there are available and we can provide that loan. Wow. Yeah. Um, there is a lot of other details um, that you will go into um, to actually begin the project. But yeah, it is feasibly done and it is um, profitable for both the hive chain um, long term and, and the individuals wow. who did invest. And it does all for them. Um, opportunities for a compound growth to any investment too. So are you saying that the collateral would simply be the house? Well, what's the collateral if you go to the bank and get the mortgage? Well, that's the thing is if I go to the bank to get a mortgage, I have to have a certain credit score and I have to have a certain income and I have to have a certain income to debt ratio or they won't approve it. They would never approve a loan to someone who had a, bad, a poor credit score or poor income to debt ratio and who did not have an income of three months. They have to prove it. You have to prove three months worth of income at least in order to even be considered for a loan. And that doesn't even include what interest rate you're gonna get. I mean, it would be nice if just the house itself was considered collateral, 
but I have to be able to prove I'm going to pay it off. You know, obviously the bank could repo that, foreclose on that, but banks don't like to do that. So maybe in this instance, the house could be enough of a collateral and then you could have a contract that allows them to repo it if it doesn't get, if there's a default. That would be something. That is why you would have an appraisal done on the house to begin with. Um, obviously, you're not going to loan out the full um, cost of the purchase of the house, so to speak. And if the house is priced um, way off market value, um, it's not a loan you would be advised to give out either. Um, these type of loans would be more for people who... Um, find it difficult getting into the property ladder. Yeah. And in most places, um, you can probably um, be paying rent and accommodation for a period of years and not get a loan. And the rent you're paying could be higher than mortgage repayments. So you mean the rent that I would pay through the Hive loan would be higher than an ordinary loan repayment? No, I'm saying if you're renting a house right now, your rent per week, per month, right. per year could be more than what your mortgage repayments right. would Which be. Which it usually is. And, yeah. and yet the bank still will not give you a loan. It's Why okay. is that? <sighs> I mean, why is that? I guess they just don't want to take on the risk. You've been paying back more for the last three years renting property than your mortgage repayments would be. Right. So you do have the ability to reach and make those payments quite easily if you've been paying a higher amount per month for rented accommodation. That's right. Yes, the banks will still not give you a loan for yeah, certain they, reasons. No, they won't. Yeah, no, that's rife across many populations. Yeah. Um, well, I'm coming from a thing of making it more um, economical for people to live, whereas yearly the cost of living keep rising um, and it's harder and harder for people to get by. I'm all of a thing and it's something I've voiced for the last two and a half years since I came onto this um, blockchain steam hive um, of reducing the cost of living for people. These are really great ideas and I'm glad that you and Jack Miller are the ones talking about them because you both kind of have a similar mindset. And frankly, uh, this is a really cool idea and it's a little different than what Cly is doing in that in this instance, it would actually be more of a, a literal pool where it's kind of coalesced together. And yeah, I'm kind of putting this in his mind right now. Uh, maybe it's something where um, that percentage he takes off the creditors percentage in, maybe that could put it into a pool somewhere and some of that accumulate over time. And then maybe some of that could be used to start up the real estate loans. So, for instance, if this were a real estate loan uh, example, then the Hive lending group would essentially purchase the loan from the bank. Well, uh, personally, I think the DHF, if you take something like uh, a couple of million out, a few million out of DHF, and you invest it into real estate in certain areas, buy up a few properties and rent them out, 
um, now you've created an income that can generate the purchase of future properties and the possibilities of creating loans for properties already purchased. And those properties would remain the property of the highest blockchain, not any individual. Um, and any fee paid in rent would be converted to Hive. Yeah. So we would create a demand for Hive and uh -huh. increase the value of our, I say in this case, HPD. You would increase the demand for that and you would have a, a level value. You have a better chance of keeping it up at the dollar market and keeping it there constant. Um, anything over that that's going to increase the cost of HPD, as in make one HPD worth $1.25, where you stop buying that and you purchase the rest in Hive and you increase the value of Hive. You give a rebate to these people in Hive, and through that rebate, you can then expand to other industries where they can spend that Hive as well. And other industries, I would say, probably like coffee shops or bottled water and stuff like that. Wow, I love it. I could talk all day about this. This is really cool. So maybe we'll talk about that next time. We should just host an entire discussion because this just opens up so many little doors in my brain right now. Like I'm going bananas inside my brain. I mean, because it's it's it, it could be something that that the lending the hive lending coalition could come up with later to expand. And it took me it took me a year of talking with Jack Miller before Jack Miller had a a fuller comprehension of the things I was saying. And part of that was the phrases I was using and the words I was using. Jack Miller educated me on those things. Oh. But we have essentially talked about this pro these projects for about two years. Um, and Jack Miller has thrown obstacles at me and that it can't work because of this. And yeah. I've, I've explained the way I see it, the simplicity and then he's come back with, oh, yeah, well, you put that way, if we use this technology incorporated, then things can work out. So between myself and Jack Miller, we've overcome a lot of obstacles that would be involved in a project like this, um, just talking. Um, but, yeah, I think it's, it's probably a thing that deserves more than just 15 minutes to talk about. Well, I just put it in Clyde's head there that maybe a few years down the road we can get yeah. together too and work on this kind of project. Yeah, I think Clyde's project is going to be successful. It sounds fairly foolproof. It sounds like there's not a lot of... Uh, um, if I can put... Um, I'm always one to put a spanner in the work somewhere. Like Clyde might put a few spanners in my works about my projects. Um, is well, it ten percent? Is it ten percent on a loan? If the loan is only for a period of one month, um, that works out at one hundred twenty percent APR. Um, you might probably be better looking at lowering some of those percentages, maybe to make them more attractive. Um, if I get a loan of a thousand and I have to pay back one thousand one hundred within a month, it's not very easy to come up with. Yeah, right. And and you'd have to lower the percentage rate and come up with different ways of paying it. But I do think that would be nice to have you and Jack come on next week. We could vet this out because I think once Cly gets his program put together, uh, you know, others might will probably follow suit. It's not it's 
it's not unlikely. So among those who put something like this together and find it to be a successful enterprise, which likely it will be, I do think that there will be a space for this. I do. I think there's going to be a space for it. And then you guys can come in and say, hey, there's our ideas. Problem is, um, you know, we want to we'd want to make sure that it was in the right hands and done properly and executed well and whoever was in charge of the protocol and the lending experience really did have actual uh where wherewithal and know-how otherwise that would be nerve-wracking to say the least and i'd also not want to centralize us I'd, I'd not want to be a lending platform at the same time we do love the idea of increasing the value of that coin and the demand and I do think that there is a place for it as long as separate entities are the ones that are putting into the pool and it's becoming, it's in one, on one hand, it's a public value because the hive coin itself derives value from that. But on the other hand, those who are participating in lending that money will also, or that crypto will also benefit directly because they'll get an ROI on those, on those mortgages. So I think it's a two way ownership. We have the individual or the group ownership. And then we also have just the decentralized ownership of the value of the hive. I don't think you can say that the hive blockchain owns it unless we all feel like we contributed to the lending pool. And I just don't think that that's possible unless you pull from the actual rewards pool, in which case that's another discussion. And then we get into smart media contracts and that's another issue. But well, that's where I said coming from the DHF level, okay. the Hive project. Oh Hive my blockchain. God. Oh, you did say that, didn't you? <gasps> yeah. Now, you did. there is a thing where you can open doors for people to invest to um, and stuff like that, and percentage of the returns goes there. Um, on working things like that, it works out that a maximum of um, 32% of all profitable returns gets distributed to administration and the returns for investors. Returns for investors um, would grow with time. Um, so their initial returns might not look attractive, but returns 10 years down the road will outweigh the loss of any uh, returns at the beginning, so to speak. It's kind of like with any new business. Yeah. In the first three years of business, there's generally no profit at all, and it's only if the business succeeds after that time that profits start to tend to come in. Wow. This, this is putting a little oh. greedy grin on my face. A greedy oh. little grin is coming upon my face right now. This sounds very, okay. very interesting. Can I jump in? Yes, please do, Jack. Chloe, Chloe man, you there? Yep. Um, just to throw a little idea in your head, um, and you'll appreciate the, the actual concept if you sleep on it. How about the idea of making a side chain and making smart contracts possible on that side chain? It doesn't have to be done overnight. I mean, it's not like it has to be there tomorrow. But then scalability issues are out of the way. If you've got smart contracts in place, I mean, think about it. That would be ultra mega out of this world as far as the hive ecosystem goes. And you'd be literally making a virtual bank, even though it's, oh, no, 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 I don't want to use the word bank, but you'd be making something with contractual agreements 
for monetary transactions, which can be long-term or short-term, and which actually commit to the actual code. So mm. it's trustless, meaning it's, it's perfect. <laughs> Correct. Well, just throwing you with the idea your ways. I mean, I think you'll like to chew on it because it really does hold water. So you're asking Clyde how he feels about making a side chain using a smart contract, a smart media token. No, 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 no. Side contract with smart contracts um, coded in. So uh, well, a side chain, uh, sorry, a side chain actually communicates with the main chain and it solves all issues as far as scalability goes because it doesn't have to be reliant upon the actual uh, main chain as far as everything goes. Because if he's dealing with only the money, he doesn't have to have all the other mumbo jumbo there as far as <sighs> blogging, for example, or photos and so on. But this way, it's a specific side chain, which in itself is an entity which could replace any other formal entity, i.e., a bank or a loan institution or a government, and so on and so on, all these institutions that can, you know, do these things. But it's all guaranteed by smart contracts. It's all guaranteed by code. So it's trustless. There's no what if this, what if that, who, yeah. And just like Clyde said, they have to have the collateral there. But you, you can't actually control the collateral. But hang on a second. If you have a smart contract in place where that collateral can be controlled, meaning that, you know, if these, I, yeah, I'll just say items A, B, and C are not fulfilled as per the smart contract, boom. The money's there. It, it's they're covered. It's a CYA. But at the same time, because it's an actual blockchain and it's all code, it's trustless. There's no need for anybody to go out and check on things and do things because guess what? It's all it's it's in there. I won't say AI, but it's perfect. It's a hell of an idea, actually, that would allow for a fully autonomous, decentralized fucking anything. Basically, a sidechain with smart contracts is a great idea. Correct, and it communicates with the main chain. I'll call it, I'll call it the main chain just to just use that term so we can differentiate between the two. You're not actually forking. You're actually part of the main chain, but only for this one specific job. And only that information which is necessary, slash the monetary transactions, nothing else, is what you're communicating with on the main chain. Almost like a vanilla condenser just for this one issue. Well, that's what side chains really are built for. Um, they re, they resolve if side chains are used properly, and I won't pick on any existing side chains anywhere. Um, they they resolve the issue of actual well scalability, but in this case, it resolves the issue of the actual formal identity and the actual trustless uh, trustless the code part of the thing where it's the the code is the contract and it has yeah. to be signed off by all parties involved. That, that would also do away the need for web servers and shit like that too. We could run the thing basically headless, which would be excellent. That's definitely something I would be interested in as far as actually making a side chain that's um, ready to have to get programmed into it. I would need to do some serious research before I try to tackle that. Again, I just wanted to throw the, the concept your way because like Jane said, the Hive said, we've discussed this multiple times on multiple levels on multiple case uses and my my conclusion was anything of the sort no matter whether it be a project like yours or whether it be a project where it's actually real world 
projects, which is a step in towards tokenization of the actual world and decentralization of the actual monetary system in the real world, what we tend to refer to as real world needs, again, it would have to be handled in a way that is trustless, coded in, and that has smart contracts to cover the actual both parties involved, all parties involved, should I say. Yep. Not to build the higher ecosystem, it has to be a side chain. It can't be a, it can't be a steam engine type of yeah 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 oh yeah it's fucking brilliant right right now my main um focus is on building investment vehicles and use cases for hive because it's fucking useless unless you can do stuff with it so by building the roller site which has investing by building this uh, loan site which has investing we're basically building things where we can use our hive to get returns and that that's what investors are looking for that's what people are looking for stuff to use their high real, like, right now it's kind of limited. Yeah, I, I hear you. I fully understand everything's a step-by-step process, but this is something that you should, in my opinion, and I'm just expressing my honest opinion, you should consider it, write it down as a note somewhere. I think he's got it. I think he's got that note. I hear it. it. And I do think this is a viable idea, and I think Cly is um, definitely one to talk to about it, and you guys hopefully keep in touch over the issue. Um, let's see how these go and and we'll we'll kind of bust out on the subject again when we have a little more time to develop it, but I do love it. I, I'm crazy about you guys, this is awesome. I'm super impressed too, because what's going on here is is that we have real people developing real world solutions for something that isn't necessarily mainstream yet, isn't necessarily considered seriously by um, mainstream, not just crypto, but business. It, we're taking more, we're being taken more seriously by crypto enthusiasts, it's true. Especially what with all of the exchanges that we're being listed on and the market cap value that we've got and Yes, filling in the gaps, <laughs> uh, but it's true. I just I get really enthusi- enthusiastic by project like projects like these and brainstorms like these. Obviously, I think Jack, you guys are past brainstorm, but but brainstorms nevertheless. That essentially what we're doing is we're we're making this a real viable econo- economy. It's it's place where where regular people ought to be able to come. We want regular people to come here and have a use case. Why you want to come here? I want to buy a house. I mean, two years ago, three years ago, I never would have thought, oh, go to the blockchain, you can buy a house. Go to the blockchain, you can pay your rent. No, nobody thinks that. They think, oh, well, we can blog for a little money. You can maybe design a dap, make a little money. Maybe you can make some friends, get some experience. Like who would have thought? four years ago that you would be having this conversation that we could sit here and have a central, a decentralized pool of rewards pool to, to basically be mortgaging out an entire real estate market. Like who would have thought? I, I certainly wouldn't have. Maybe you guys have been thinking about the whole time, but I think it's kind of cool. It's amazing what all y'all are coming up with. So thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing. Okay, um, I hate to be rude, but I kind of want to talk about something that's not quite 
exactly related. I hope y'all, I hope y'all, I hope you all will, will humor me because in this post, I did talk about uh, the idea of, of Elon Musk as, as Satoshi Nakamoto. And I know it sounds crazy. I know it sounds crazy, but it's funny because I want to make the segue now because Elon Musk is always talking about the utility of crypto and the dysfunctionalism of fiat and banks. I mean, he kind of hates the banks. He he could <laughs> exactly. And it took C++ C++ to do so. And C++ was the major code behind developing the Bitcoin blockchain. So I don't know what you guys think about that, but I think for someone like, okay, here's my thinking is you guys are sitting here talking about mortgages. <clears throat> You're talking about, okay, what can we do with these real world problems? How can we have utility in a situation where we've never used it that way before? How do we make it work? Okay. So you guys are innovators in your own right. You're sitting here going, I want to solve a problem. I have a solution. Here's my solution. Can it be done? What are the hangups? What are we going to do? Well, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, that's world-class brainstorming is you're coming up with solutions, real world solutions for real world people, real world problems. And when I'm looking at something like the blockchain crisis, which is going on, which in my opinion means basically that it's not very use case. It's not really, um, what's the word? It's not an efficient way. People, people are having a hard time adopting it. It's not taking widespread adoption the way good technology should. And it's simply because it is not as convenient as it should be. So, but he, but I mean, we're only 10 years in, so cut us some slack, right? So back in 2008, Satoshi, or actually let's back up a little bit. So we're talking about, I actually read this, this guy, his name is Sahil Gupta and he's former SpaceX employee. And he was a developer in, at SpaceX in 2015. And according to his LinkedIn profile or according to his point, and then, and he said that Musk could be behind Bitcoin because of his deep understanding of economics and cryptography, his strong grip on advanced coding languages, the fact that he's a polymath, which is a person of wide range of knowledge, obviously, like you guys, um, you're all polymaths. And then his, he, here's the thing, is I actually made a little bullet point, a little bullet point, and I thought that was a waste of time. I might as well just drop the link. This guy makes some really compelling little arguments, you guys. I'm going to drop the link right here. I'm just going to read my favorite ones. Um, the first thing he said was that in 2008, the Bitcoin paper was written by someone with a deep understanding of economics and cryptography. And, and then we, we have Elon who founded and wrote the internet software for PayPal. So, okay, that works. And then we have Bitcoin source code <clears throat> was written by someone with a mastery of C++, which, which was used, which he insisted be used at X.com and SpaceX. And then experience aside, Elon has demonstrated the ability to learn and apply knowledge quickly, which is how he built rockets and invented the Hyperloop. Eh, that's kind of a weak argument, but it works for me. Here's another one. Uh, the thing about Elon Musk, why, what's hallmark about Elon Musk is that he tends to try and solve <clears throat> large world problems. Okay, this is a guy 
who's he's kind of got it cut out like he 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 gets his his very large fortune from paypal when you have a large fortune like that and when you have the ability to meet all of your needs and wants what's what's the next thing that happens you have everything at your fingertips you're young you're ready to take on the world the, you have one of two options really like uh developmentally speaking especially at the young age that he was at he has one of two options and this is the human option is number one the, the hyperloop is a terrible idea i don't i don't agree i disagree we'll get into that um you have one of two options when you have that much wealth and that much sustainability and that much ability to influence and also meet your needs and others needs the first thing that you're going to run up against is uh the kind of power and influence that you have what does that do to you what does that do to a person and then number two is what kind of well essentially what can i do to make a difference and so in my opinion elon musk has chosen not necessarily either or neither but it does occur to me that when you're in a position where everything where basically everything that you need in life is not an issue your brain expands to a place where what's next so you have all your basic needs met you're widely known you've accomplished a great thing you're now a mega billionaire whatever whatever you are and you have the option to pretty much do anything you want and then it also happens that you have this brain that's a that's capable of great things and so what are you going to do if you're elon musk so my personal philosophy about elon musk is that i think he's a little bit of a religious fanaticist i think he's something of a zealot and i don't mean like church i mean like I think he has a philosophy and a belief system that compels him to do certain things. And I think his religion is that he's at this level where, well, what's the next biggest problem? I don't know, maybe preventing the demise of the human race. And I do kind of feel like his religion is, <laughs> I mean, we all know he's constantly talking about, well, we need to think, think ahead for the demise of the human race, blah, 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 blah. So my whole thing is, if he's trying to prevent the demise of the human race, then what is he doing to do that? Well, if you look at almost all of the projects that he projects that he has worked on since 2008 that are public as well, is everything that he's done, in my opinion, sort of points back to, I want to make sure that we save the human race. I don't know if anyone would disagree with me. I actually think I made a little list here. Okay. I'm gonna list the projects that he's worked on and you'll see what I'm talking about, okay? So SpaceX has to do with colonizing Mars because just in case the world goes to pots. Tesla vehicles have to do with slowing climate change and pollution. Tesla solar, same thing. The Boring Company and the Hyperloop, reducing traffic, slowing climate change, reducing emissions. Battery cell development, reducing crude oil dependence, slowing climate change, reducing emissions. Neuralink, the implantable brain interfaces in case of the destruction of the human race. How is that not what that is about? Starlink. I haven't been able to put Starlink anywhere in this list. It's just, it's the new satellite constellation grid surrounding the earth. And we know what it's going to be useful for as far as our economy goes and as far as communication goes. I'm not really sure how, how this prevents the demise of the human race or helps the earth not to deteriorate. Someone's going to have to give me a clue on that one. Uh, but even down to the name that he gave his recent child, 
X Ash A12, right? How is that not like the Martian name for his new Martian colony? How is that not what that, maybe what that is about? Uh, and we know that everything that he's motivated by, when he's interviewed, when, when he's interviewed about, when, when people refer to him as a hero, he hates it. He's like, I'm not a hero. I'm just obsessed with, but he's annoyed. He's like, wah, like it just annoys him when, we're doing things that are destroying our, our, our mankind or, or the place that we use to subsist. So I'm just thinking in my mind, when 2008 came along and the white paper was written for the Bitcoin blockchain, I'm just sitting here thinking, how is that not Elon Musk? How did he not, how was that not him? He had all of the tools at his disposal to create something like that. He had the mental capacity to do to do so and probably a team as well. But more importantly, he probably had the motivation to do so because he hates the way he cannot stand he cannot stand modern banks. He cannot stand the modern banking system. He does not have any respect or any uh admiration or any value in the current fiat cash system. He has, uh, he, he loathes that system. He thinks it's deficient. He's constantly talking about it. If you talk to Joe Rogan, any time of the day, he's got him interviewing on that subject all the time. It's not something that's a new thing. He's always, always, always talking about it. So it's something that he values. What I find interesting is that he has on a regular basis talked about the importance of an alternate coin based system. He's he is Oprah for dudes. <laughs> Joe Rogan is Oprah for dudes. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. So my whole thing is he had opportunity, he had motive, and he had the and he had the murder weapon. How do we know he did not invent Bitcoin? I think he I think he's a viable candidate. I think he makes a strong candidate. And furthermore, furthermore, here's what I find interesting is that who cares is yes please can you do that claim is that he he has no real stock that we're aware of publicly in any real cryptocurrency project i here's why i find that very difficult to believe because first of all he's obsessed with cryptocurrency as far as i care as far as i'm concerned um, secondly, his, his Tesla Gigafactory in the middle of, um, Northern Nevada, right there near Sparks is like a stone's throw away from one of the biggest names in blockchain technology today, which maybe, maybe isn't huge in, um, our world, but it is huge in just the world of worlds, like the regular mainstream world. His name is Jeffrey, Jeffrey Burns, and he is the founder, the owner and founder of Blockchains LLC, which is also located a stone's throw away from the Gigafactory in Sparks. And he owns like, I don't know how much it was, like 33,000 acres. He bought it up like four years ago in Nevada. And he and Elon Musk have been to several meetings with Governor Sandoval and also many economist meetings together to discuss a better platform, a better economic platform for the future. And, and Jeffrey Burns operates his blockchain off of the Ethereum blockchain. 
and now he's got his own cryptocurrency going and he's actually just recently purchased a brand new bank from i think it was switzerland and he's planning on using it for cryptocurrency uh, transactions alone and nothing else and I mean, this guy is all about the crypto. He's actually developing a city, a very small city in the smack dab middle of Sparks that will be based on blockchain technology alone. The houses that are purchased, like Jack and the Hive are talking about, all of the houses that are purchased will be purchased through cryptocurrency and blockchain open ledger trustless systems. All of the banking that is done will be trustless. All of the assets that are being um stored will be through a i guess he has like these underground bunkers that he's built all throughout the world and one of them is in in switzerland near his bank and another one is in the grounds of nevada desert which by the way i live 20 minutes away from growing up i just i i mean i'm like so tempted to just go there and be like hey <laughs> let's hang out but what's interesting to me is that he and elon musk are at least really good business friends at least really good business friends and have the same arguments when it comes to economy and what it should be used for and here i'm thinking you're telling me he only has 0.25 bitcoin and that he hasn't invested in anything else i think that's a loadable i think he's the and and what is it how much was it that the um that satoshi supposedly had access to was it like five million bitcoin and it was a million coins okay i was thinking it was five million so a million coins which is however many billions of dollars that's like 10 billion dollars but either way it he would have been just the type of person to throw away those keys and be like hey have fun with it it's open source another argument i have to make this is that he open sources as a general rule he open sources as a general rule i mean think about the tesla patent pledge of 2014. It states, and I quote, Tesla will not initiate a lawsuit against any party for infringing a Tesla patent through activity relating to electric, electric vehicles or related equipment for so long as such party is acting in good faith. And Tesla is the assignee of over 350 US utility and design patents covering a broad range of technology from thermal management systems to door handles. He doesn't open sources. <laughs> oh, blue, you and I have had this discussion maybe you're right maybe he doesn't open source anything of relevance maybe like his batteries he doesn't open source his batteries he wants to keep that his own information um you may be right maybe he doesn't open source anything of relevance uh it, it it's it's debatable however he does like to open source he does like to open source and he does like to create things i mean his tesla his his whole system the the ev car is he doesn't what did you say he doesn't open source spacex because he says getting patents is pointless in the first place because his competitors are his competitors are states i mean that's debatable as well he says that he doesn't open the only time that he that he gets patents is if he thinks a patent is worth getting and the only time he open sources that patent is if he thinks that it's worth not getting suit lawsuits over it's he's a little bit inconsistent he does have things that he'll open source over and things that he won't he does have things he'll patent over and things that he won't i would love to do a little research to see on which ones are more relevant than others which ones have higher money making abilities than others which ones indirectly create money making because basically open sourcing his ev cars and all parts 
does directly point people back to his batteries. I mean, yes, they're made by Panasonic, but they could get them through him. I don't know. That's a whole nother conversation. Maybe we'll debate that. Maybe we will have it out right here, Blue. But the point is, he does open source things. He's all, he is into open sourcing things. And for me, that's enough of a sliver of an argument to consider that it potentially he could have been the reason for open, he would have been the kind of person to open source the Bitcoin ledger. I mean, Bitcoin wasn't relevant when it was open sourced. What did he have to lose by open sourcing it and then throwing away the keys so that it all, it, and, and another thing that he talks about often, especially if you listen to his, his uh, podcast with Joe Rogan, another thing that he talks about often is that he, one of the reasons that he disagrees with the current monetary system is because it is not inflation proof. Whereas Bitcoin is inflation proof. So that sounds like a total Elon Musk idea. I don't know how it wasn't. That's my personal case. Let me see if there's any others that I wanted to make. Oh, Bitcoin, I... Bitcoin would not be inflation proof and the price of things thing still go up. The value of Bitcoin increases too. And you need less crypto to have the same monetary value as time goes on, once its peak of, I think it's 21 or 27 million is reached. Um, Bitcoin also was probably created by the banks um, and simply because they hold 100 million. When the rest of the population bring Bitcoin up toward 100,000 and the bank is holding 1 million of those, well, that's a lot different to a bank holding 1 million or 10,000. Well, and you make a good good point because essentially by capping out the number of coins and you're saying by definition they're not actually inflation proof, yeah, the banks are the ones that are going to benefit because they own the most. So you make a good argument. However, I I like to think that it's my little musky and in musk we trust. Now, um, there's no relevant secrets in building an electric car. You may be right, Blue. The secret is in the batteries and the software. Yes. Uh, you don't see him open sourcing his AI. You don't, which is why, again, you might have, you do have a relevant discussion point here. Um, as far as his AI goes and it, and the software on his batteries. Okay. My, I recently, I, maybe I should have like gotten the link on this, but what I, what I read last week was that the batteries in his electric vehicle have recently been updated so that the software allows for a two-way current so that for instance I can take my vehicle to a charging station at work charge my vehicle take it home and then plug it into my solar charge panel like my power panel at home and then and then provide power for my home and that people are doing this in California and so I don't know enough about it to really debate the issue but my understanding is that um it depends on the power it depends on the charging station the charging station could be one of those kinds where you have to actually pay to get the energy off the grid uh it could be the kind that was installed in your home when you purchased your solar panel and so you just plug everything into it and so it's essentially renewable and sustainable and free energy um, it could be the situation where you plug in at work and if you have an EV, 
uh, an electric vehicle and you plug in at work, you get free, like where I work, uh, the tech company I work at, you have charging stations, charging stations in the entire front row of every parking lot and all of the buildings that they own. And it doesn't cost any money. You just charge your car during the day. So I'm just thinking that would be kind of cool, but I don't see it lasting long. I'm, I guess there are, there may have to be regulations there as well. I don't know. I don't know how you're going to go and get in someone's house and say, I'm sorry, but you're plugging that into the wrong way. Like, what are you going to do? I'm not sure. Maybe they'll put some regulations onto the batteries so that the circuitry only goes one way, and that is to suck and not blow. I'm not really sure. In any event, the main reason that I think that or that I hope that Elon Musk is indeed Satoshi Nakamoto is because when I was six years old, my older brother told me that Santa Claus wasn't real. And this was devastating to me because at the time I felt pretty sure that Santa Claus and I were real tight. I knew that someone out there just thought I was amazing every year. And I would go to that Christmas tree just knowing there was somebody special out there thinking of me. And so when I found out that that was not true, and Santa Claus disappeared in the blink of an eye. And I remember going to my dad and my brother was like, go ask dad. I do remember the day I walked up to my dad and I said, dad, Ben says, hey, Frankie. Ben says, uh, yeah, Santa Claus is not real. Ben says, Santa Claus is not real and I need to ask you. And I still remember the dumb look on my dad's face and him like feeling so bad and me running into my room and bursting into tears and throwing myself on my bed. So Santa Claus is not real, but... But you know what? I think the next best thing would be if that, if 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 Elon Musk was Satoshi Nakamoto. I think it all it almost makes up for that deficiency in my life. Do I have a secret crush on Elon Musk? Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I do. It depends on the interview I'm watching. It depends on the project I'm work he's working on. Yesterday, I decided I did not have a crush on Elon Musk, and that's only because. He takes offense to the fact that what's his face, uh, Blue, help me out, what's his name, his competitor, <laughs> just started up a new car, an automaking industry, like a, a an automobile. So, no, not Nikola. <laughs> no, who's his competitor? What's the guy's name? What's his name? Jeff something. The one that has the other space program. So, yes, Bezos. So, yesterday... They're like, oh, how do you feel, Elon, that uh, Jeff Bezos also has a car company that he's developing? And Elon says something to the effect of, oh, well, he's always trying to copy me. <laughs> and I'm sitting here going, okay, you guys need to go get a room. I had a crush on you, but I don't right now. You just need to get a room. So I, I kind of feel like that was lame that he said that. Maybe Jeff Bezos is copying him, but I feel like someone who essentially develops Amazon couldn't really be considered a copycat. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to break it to you, Muskie, but Bezos is every bit as valuable and worthy. And in my book, Santa Claus as you are. In fact, how do we know it wasn't Bezos? Okay. How do we know that Bezos didn't write that white paper? Okay. Launched his rocket company before Elon. It's true. See, see blue. Jeff launched his rocket company before Elon did. Before. So who's copying who? I wonder. I seriously think those two need to get a room is all I have to say about that.
I really do. So you guys, while I was researching this subject, I came across some really fun and interesting information. I was looking into the history of electronic vehicles and, and I was doing this because he can't get a room because swole Jeff will rip Elon's thorax out. <laughs> Blue. So here's what I found out you guys. I'm going to do a little timeline. I'm going to do, we're going to get me, give you a little history lesson. Are you ready for this? Here's what I find super, super interesting about Elon Musk and Jeff Swole Bezos. Okay. What I find interesting is, and this is not new. I'm not clever in saying this. I know I'm not clever in saying this, but I just find it interesting that these two guys who invented PayPal and Amazon, and they're all about like making the world so much mind-blowingly different than it was before they even entered the Earth's atmosphere. Okay. I find it super interesting that the two people who are not only competitors, but also contemporaries and also should be friends, kind of like Da Vinci and Michelangelo. I don't know. This is a renaissance, you guys. We've got to be, we've got to be a little more friendly with our competition, but, and maybe they are. But what I find interesting is that the two people who have the highest chance of success and change on this planet or among the highest chance of success and change on this planet decide to go into the most typically suicidal industries there are on the planet, automobiles and space. Now, Elon Musk has an excuse. He's a religious zealot. As I said, he needs to save the human race. What's Jeff's excuse? What is his excuse? Why does he want to go into I think it's ego. I think literally the same reason that Michael Jordan decided to take in Major League Baseball. I think they just want to do it because they want to do it. They're like, oh, there's something I've never done. There's something I think would be a challenge because why? Because nothing else is a challenge anymore. If they wanted to build something, they could get the right people to build it. How many people on the planet could, could justifiably say that starting up an automobile com company in competition with monoliths that have been in the industry for at least a hundred years at over a hundred years. How many people can say, Oh, I could totally do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to start up a company that's completely impossible. No company since 1920s when Henry Ford developed the, uh, what's it called? The thing, the assembly line. The very thing that made him a profitable and viable automobile company that would, would at least compete with General Motors. How many people and how many startup companies since that time have been able to say, yeah, I totally made it. I mean, excluding the foreign companies, which were also generating their, they, they were developing around the same time anyways. So we can't really say that that would have been considered a startup. I mean, probably the most recent startup would have been 1935. And that was, um, which one was that? It's, it's fleeing me. But the point is there have been no successful automobile startup companies since the 1920s with Henry Ford, none to speak of. And then these two blokes come on <laughs> and they're like, we're both going to do it. And they do it. And, and in my opinion, which isn't really, again, not very clever, but 
but the reason that Elon was able to pull it off is for this. And this is why we get to have a little history lesson, okay? Is because of the infrastructure of the charging station. Because as I understand it, obviously we know he's not the first person to come up with an electric vehicle. In fact, when I was doing, because I really wanted to know, like I really wanted to know the history here. And the history is that the electric vehicle goes back 10 years before the turn of the century, 1900s, not this century, the last century. Um, we're talking 1908. Uh, we had Thomas Edison developing a viable electric vehicle and touting its efficiency over that of the crude oil machine. And the problem was that in the 1935s when crude oil hit like record lows because of all the Texas oil, then everybody bought up all these oil companies and they started putting pop-up oil distilleries and oil dispensaries all over. And then you'd get these longer roads being built and at the end of them was an oil station, a gas station, a filler station. Then of course, you know, the people that are going to buy cars are going to want cars that get from one state to another. They can get to Nebraska in one whole entire day as opposed to a week when they had a horse and carriage. So yeah, that it was 1935 that did it, you guys. And so here we are, we're using crude oil machines. And so even though the electric vehicle may have been a better solution, it was not economically as viable. It did not have the range. It did not have the, it wasn't as cheap to get the, the, the energy. So it wasn't until the 70s when uh I, let me look at my notes general motors was the first to push for mainstreaming the electric vehicle after gasoline driven motors had stolen the stage for seven years 70 years so here's what i think is interesting is tesla doesn't even i mean because he's a kid then right in the 70s he was a kid he was like maybe i don't know five so here we are he's just a kid but by the time he hits the 90s and the turn of the century 2000s he's looking at the, the toyota prius he's looking at the ev1 and he comes along in 2006 and he puts together a decent enough sports car with a 200 plus mile range that was great we've got this mile range handled that's where he comes in and he's like guys we can actually go like out of state on a camping trip even though you wouldn't do it in a sports car Here's where he has his definable, his definable moment and his definable moment was in the grid. He, he, the problem was that all of these other car companies were essentially dictated by investors who were not, it wasn't that they weren't unable. It's that they were not interested in depositing billions of billions of dollars in a charging station infrastructure, which is what it would have required in order to viably push out an EV promotional. I mean, the Prius was only successful because it was a hybrid. The EV1, actually it wasn't the EV1, it was the, um, it was the Colt. No, the Colt. What was it? Wasn't the Colt? I feel like it was the Colt. The Chevy, oh, with the Volt. Sorry, with a V. The Chevy Volt 2010 was a hybrid. That was the only reason they were able, yes, thank you. The only reason that they were able to push this was the, the hybridity from, from crude oil, gasoline to grid charging 
EVs. And so this is something I didn't know. And I feel a little embarrassed about the fact because I'm from this country. What I did not know was that the US Department of Energy actually spent billions of dollars of not building necessarily an infrastructure. You had a bolt once. Oh, Frank, eh? show us a picture. Not necessarily starting the charging infrastructure, but at least funding the, the um, charging stations. And so what, what happened was that the US Department of Energy put out 18,000 charging stations in the period of three, three or five years. It was like 2010 to 2013. Half of those charging stations were built inside people's homes. And this was how Toyota Prius and the Chevy Volt were able to make any money on their sales was because they worked out a deal with the government. And they said, hey, listen, these guys gotta be able to plug in their cars. We really wanna save the universe. And so they did. They put like 10,000 in people's homes and at commercial, in residences and in commercial properties. The rest of them were actually part of a bigger infrastructure. They tried it out, put it in some gas stations and they still are in use today. But then Elon Musk comes along and he says, here's my chance. This is the only way that I will be able to be a successful automobile industry company is if I got, if I provide something that no one else does. And that is a charging infrastructure. None of the other companies were going to do it because their investors were like, it doesn't have a good turnaround. We're not sure if it's going to work. We also own stock in oil and we're just not sure we want to give that up so i mean it's cool oh look at it. it's frankie's bolt it's actually kind of nice looking look at that thing royal blue no man no less gorgeous very beautiful beautiful so for me that was kind of a fun little history lesson is that the u.s department of energy was the one who started the infrastructure i always thought that it was elon musk but he didn't he didn't start it he just came and picked up and then what he did is he takes his energy credits because he's built on solar, his gigafactory operates off solar. And so he's using all of his, all of his energy credits from California and from Nevada. And he's using that money and he's, well, and he's selling his energy credits and he's using the energy credits, the money from that to, to then build a charging station infrastructure. This is how, this is how he got it to go. And I don't know how um, Bezos plans on competing with that. I'd like to I'd like to keep up on that. I'm very curious about his endeavor. I do think it's healthy for Tesla to have some competition. Honestly, in my opinion, the only way you can compete with Tesla is just have a quicker turnaround. <laughs> Get your cars out sooner than three years. And then I think you'll have competition, Elon Musk. And the problem is that Jeff Bezos is spread just as thin as Elon is. Otherwise, I think he'd probably make a viable candidate. And this in this situation, I don't know, maybe they're better off just being friends and pinky swearing that they'll work together. If they really are here to help like unify the world and make it a better place, make sure everybody gets wins and that the human race is better then I feel like they should like hold pinkies and skip to my loo. That's me. But it's always good to have good competition. I just, I don't want to see Tesla go bankrupt just because Jeff Bezos has a great idea. So I don't think he will. Um, let's see, we are at 3.30. I did have like, I always have tons to talk about. I don't want to take up way too much of your guys' time. But one of the things I was super, super interested in, and this is a little bit of a, a, a deviance from the core subject matter, but one of the things I want to talk about was, guys, why, why did Elon Musk and or his engineers develop 
the Cybertruck design the way they did. I was actually hashing this out with a friend recently and I was like, what was his motivation? I mean, yeah, okay, okay. So it does look like our Back to the Future. It does, it does look to like the Back to the Future vehicles, like from, um, and like why that's blanking me, I don't know, because obviously that's the most po popular car in all history, but um, the Blade, oh, the Blade Runner, okay. Well, it's based, oh, it is based on the Blade Runner. I should have known that. But it's, it's functionality is based on the Blade Runner, but it doesn't look like the Blade Runner. It looks like Back to the Future. Here's the thing. Here's what I think happened. Here's how I, you tell me, okay, okay, you tell me, frowny face, what you think happened. Here's what I think happened. I think what happened is that... Elon Musk said, okay, we need to make a vehicle that has this type of properties. It's got to be kind of bulletproof. It's got to have, it's got to be this amount. This, it can't be heavier than the F-150. It needs to be stronger than, as strong as a, a lightweight tank. It needs to be impervious to certain types of onslaught. And then it also needs to have a density factor that doesn't um, take away from its design. He says, why don't you make me a truck that's this dense, this strong, and this impervious without it being completely ugly? And then what we'll do is we'll go in and we'll refine the design. And then they say, okay, but the only way to do that is if we make it, if we give it an exoskeleton and that, that it's the design itself. So they're like, okay, that's fine. Give it an exoskeleton and that will be the design. I think well, honestly, short of making like a basic box, <laughs> like that, there's not a lot you can do to mold that type of metal because it is like, it's like 3,500 times denser than the, than the average vehicle tin box that we drive in. And they have these 20 ton presses that essentially form that beautiful design into whatever truck or vehicle that we drive. But when you take the metal that is the Cybertruck, how are you going to bend that into a beautiful shape without completely, I just don't, I don't know how, you would have to like, you'd have to take and pressurize just single points over, you can't just compress an entire chunk of metal that thick and that dense to do what these other vehicles do. It's just, it's just not possible. So it just really is, it's a matter of, yeah, we just, it would take too much effort, time, space pressure stamping you can't i just don't see how you can stamp these dense metals the way that you would with an ordinary vehicle metal the presses are huge yeah they're like 20 ton presses so i think what they did is they're just like how do we make a stamp less vehicle <laughs> even more even more than 20 tons okay maybe 20 metric tons how do you make a stampless vehicle look good? Well, basically it just needs to be kind of a box and it basically needs to have like some aerodynamics to it, but nothing that we can't just like cut and paste together on the corners. And so I think that's how they did it. I really do. I think it was just like, man, that was the easiest. We don't want to stamp anything. We don't want to paint anything. It, it, short of it being a, literally just a box driving around in a tank, we gave it a little bit of aerodynamics and some cool features and essentially there we have it. Like, uh, yeah, the DeLorean. Thank you. Why was that? Why was I? 
Frankie, why could I not remember how to say DeLorean? I don't understand. So it's the, the fact is, it's a practice, it's a form versus function issue. I think he's, would I drive it? Yeah. Would I buy it? Yeah. Would I be proud of driving it down the road? Yeah. Am I going to? Probably not. Do I need a truck? No. If I'm going to buy a Tesla, is it going to be the Cybertruck? No, it's going to be the Roadster. So, so, so shoot me. But, but are the, you know, remember when the Humvee came out? That thing was ridiculous. Everyone's like, why did you buy that? Why are you driving it? Well, it was kind of a status thing. Nobody needed a Humvee that had 13 miles a gallon on a good day. The thing about the Cybertruck, though, is that its mileage does not decrease the way an F-150 would if you started towing things. Yes, its range might decrease. Yes, you're going to lose the torque on that. You're going to use, you're going to be using more energy because you're towing an RV behind it. So you might have to recharge like four times as often, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I Maybe I should take a poll, see who would actually buy and drive that vehicle. If somebody gave it to me for free, would I resell it or would I drive it? I probably... I'd probably drive it, but it's just not a practical vehicle for me. But I don't know. Maybe that's, I just think if it just, it, I think he's trying to get away with saying this is the new cool because it's just his lazy way of saying, yeah, we don't want to put into designing it pretty. There's ways he could have made it prettier. It just was not efficient and it wasn't effective and it wasn't, um, it would have not been money saving. I think that's it. I don't think he deliberately really thought that that was the most beautiful design or the coolest way of making a truck look. I think he just went, eh, it's just too hard to stamp it. So <laughs> shave off a few little corners here and there, make it look cool, and we're good. I really think it's just, it's a practice in theory. I do think it's a cool vehicle. I think plenty of people will buy it. I think it will sell, but I think we shouldn't be fooled into thinking that that's the cool design, because it's it's really not. It isn't, it's not cool. It's It's fine. It'll work. It'll get me from point A to B. The main thing is I'm driving a Cybertruck, you guys. That's the main thing. I'm driving a Cybertruck. Do we really care what it looks like right now? Are we really too worried about the fact that it is a truck even though it doesn't look like one? <laughs> like, no, of course not. So that's kind of where I get off on that design. Like, I think it's awesome. I do love its prominence. I do love the idea that it's sort of this invincible thing. Um... Let's see. I think that that was it, you guys. I think that was all that I particular. Is there really 6,000 orders per day? Okay. I'm not saying I stand corrected. I did say that people were going to order it. I did say that, even though it's ugly. Um, when I first saw it, I, did, I didn't think it was ugly. I still don't, but it is. It is it's ugly. <laughs> it's kind of like... I don't know. It's like most babies are really cute when they're born. Most babies are really cute when they're born. Some babies when they're born aren't cute. And some babies even after they're born aren't cute. But but are they beautiful? Sure. Because it's a baby. You got to think, you know, you're like, it's a baby. Babies are beautiful. Some babies are kind of ugly. Kind of like the Cybertruck. <laughs> it's cool because it's the Cybertruck and I love the way it looks because it's unique and original and kind of defies all things uh, Ford and General Motor. I love it. I love it for that reason. It, would I want maybe a more rounded, slicker, kind of 
spaceship design? Yeah, maybe. You can't do this with an F-150. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's awesome, Brinkley. Wow. Oh, see, I think that looks really sexy, actually. Really sexy. I love that side window. I love the sleek line. I love the tanky look. It's just awesome. And you're getting, I mean, you're not dealing with mileage issues like you were with the Humvee. And you're not dealing with torque issues like you would with the F-150. You know, you've got, it's just a, I, I, like I said, somebody give me a, somebody give me a Cybertruck. Yes, I'll drive it for a good solid year and then I'll probably sell it or maybe, maybe I'll keep it. Maybe I'll keep it and I'll move into it and get some plumbing in there. Maybe like build a shower and that'll be my house. And I'll just be like, that's my new house. That's where I live. I live in my cyber truck. I would probably, if you give me like a little camper shell on the back, I would live in my cyber truck. It'll be my tiny home that I drive around, have a little loft, maybe pull out the camping gear, go catch some snakes, fry them up on the grill, and I'm, I'm good to go. Good to go. All right, guys, um, this has been real fun. It was, thank you for indulging me because essentially I just wanted a reason to talk about Elon Musk today. And I also really wanted to pick Clyde's brain. And I'm so glad I did because I was very satisfied with what I heard. And I'm also, I feel super lucky because Jack and the Hive got to talk about a cool idea that I didn't know about. So that was nice. Uh, so maybe next week what we can do is flush that out a little bit if there's more flushing to be had. I think that'd be really awesome. Maybe we can get a group together and sort of flush that out. What do you guys say? What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? I think that's a good idea. I'm all for it. All right, guys. Um, Thanks again for hopping on. I always, always, always love you all. And we're going to be here same time, same place. I realize I'm sort of conflicting with Carrie Allen and her cool little music show. So... Maybe I'll have to find a different time, but because I love Carrie and I don't want to be in conflict with that, that mama. Maybe what we can do is go a little earlier, a little later. I don't know. Let me know if you guys have any ideas on how to handle the apps. Otherwise, okay. Thanks for showing all of your ups and we will see you on the upswing next week. And I'm actually not sure what we're going to be talking about next week. I know that, um... I do know for for sure that Blurt, or is it Blurt, has invited me to interview them on their project. So I may be over on their server next week talking about what they're doing. And I'll probably be picking them apart just a little bit. So if you guys want to hang out with me there, maybe, maybe help me out. Um, otherwise, I'll probably be here talking with Jack and the Hive about, like, mortgage loans on a decentralized hive blockchain okay we'll see you guys next week either either way follow my post so you can see when i'm going live and what i'm doing okay and we'll talk to you guys later gata and then i'm going to pick some really not hopefully not dorky music to play here we go i think that worked